Hi everyone, I'm Mara Freeman here. And today we have the pleasure of interviewing Sue Abito, Volunteer Services Coordinator with the San Bernardino County Department of Behavioral Health. Hi, Sue. Hi, Mara. Thank you for that nice intro. Thank you for having me. Sue, I'm so excited about today. I'm so glad that we were able to connect with you and that you were able to take time out of your very busy schedule to speak with us. You are like one of my favorite people in the entire department. Oh, the, the feeling is mutual. Oh, well, you have a great attitude, Sue. You're very positive. You're very uplifting. And I know that you're really passionate about what you do. So for our listeners who don't know what you do, could you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. So as a volunteer services coordinator with the Department of Behavioral Health, uh, part of my job is going out in the community and speaking to high school students and college students in regards to careers in the behavioral health field. They are future leaders. They are our future workforce. So we were out there promoting uh, careers. And at the same time, we are offering internships and volunteer opportunities for the students. And lately, we've been asked to come speak with middle schools and elementary schools. So getting younger and younger, they're trying to set the path for these uh, students at a young age, which I'm all for that. I think it's wonderful that the schools are moving in in a career uh, setting for their students at an early age. It's important. Working for workforce education and training is such a unique opportunity. We have such unique programs and the volunteer program is just, just one of them. And I can talk all day about volunteer opportunities and careers in behavioral health. You guys do great work. And we here at Public Relations and Outreach have had the pleasure of, I think, having, I want to say two or three interns and also volunteers like high school students and college students. And they all have been great, just have been such a tremendous help to our department. So thank you for the work that you do. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And Sue, part of the reason that we wanted to interview you today is in celebration of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So I know that you and our former director, Dr. Veronica Kelly, and maybe even now with Dr. Uh, Yoshioka, you had a special connection, especially with Dr. Kelly, because you were both Filipina. Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So my parents were born in the Philippines in 1947. My father uh, joined the U.S. Navy in the Philippines. There was a naval base there in Subic Bay. And during that time in 1947, that was after World War II, if a Filipino citizen enlisted in the U.S. Navy, they automatically became a U.S. citizen along with their family. So my mom and I had three siblings at the time. My dad spent 20 years in the United States Navy. He was uh, stationed many, many different places. He enjoyed, I think my father really enjoyed serving this country. The United States became his country. So I am first generation born and raised in the United States or California, born and raised. So I think my parents, as a first generation Filipina, I should speak the language. Most first generation do speak their parents' native tongue. 
and my parents spoke Tagalog, which is Filipino. However, my parents did not speak to us in their native tongue because they wanted us, their children, and there were seven, to speak perfect English. So we did not, I did not learn my parents' language. I hear that uh, in, in other cultures as well. A lot of like Hispanic cultures where, you know, you're forbidden to speak Spanish at home. And then looking back in hindsight, they're like, man, I wish I would have learned it. <laughs> Exactly. I, I, I say that all the time. I said, I wish I spoke Tagalog because it would have been easy for me to learn Spanish as well. A lot of Spanish words right. yes, are in the Filipino language because Spain conquered the Philippines for 400 years. So, Wow. That's <laughs> yes. so interesting. My best friend is actually Filipino, but when I get to know, um, you know, go to her family gatherings, it's it's always kind of takes me back how, how much of a Spanish influence there is in the Filipino culture. Absolutely. And that's why a lot of Filipinos have Spanish last names. Right. Yes. So, Sue, you mentioned, you know, that you're first generation here and that your, your father was very proud to be an American. Where do you feel that you most closely resonate? Which culture? I know for me, I've mentioned before, you know, I'm, I'm, my mom is Brazilian and my dad is Bolivian. And I'm like you, I was first generation to be born um, here in the United States. And I always never felt like I fit in. And that was because there wasn't, and there still isn't a lot of Brazilians <laughs> where I live. So um, I, I really didn't fit in either with the Hispanic culture or the, uh, you know, American culture. So where do you feel like you resonate the most? That um, is a excellent question because I, I feel like I had an identity crisis going on growing up. There were not any Filipino families that lived where we lived growing up. It was all Latino. So the girls or the Filipinos that I did go to school with spoke the language and I didn't. So they kind of put me as an outcast. Mm -hmm. So, and I was okay with it because I didn't speak the language. So I resonate closely being an all American, basically with some Filipino influences, Mm -hmm. Um, food, especially Mm -hmm. my favorite. I resonate with the American culture more but the but the filipino food more yes absolutely <laughs> love the lumpia and the pancet oh i might be with you on that if it has taro in it bring it oh it. okay all right <laughs> good to know and my friend went to his his friend's sweet 16 and she's filipino too and he said he said mom they had a taro cake i was like oh my goodness <laughs> they bring me a piece oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love the food as well So, Sue, I know I've heard you share before, you know, you're very active at uh, Recovery Happens, our big event that we host during Recovery Month. And I've heard you share a little bit about your story on recovery. Maybe you can share with our listeners uh, a little bit about that and or uh, mental health. Growing up, my mom suffered with schizophrenia. And that had a lasting effect on me growing up because we never talked about it. We never, it was something that uh, you kept quiet and it was like an embarrassment or shameful if you had a family member who suffered with mental illness. And my mom, I, I just adored her and she, she suffered for many years with it. 
not getting the proper help. And so growing up, my mother, she tried to take her life in front of me. And so I was traumatized as a child. And growing up, I would have to say that I was angry and just didn't know, didn't have an outlet. So as a teen, I started experimenting with marijuana and alcohol at a very young age. And then I stopped and then got through high school, started working. And then I don't know what happened, but um, it was in the 80s. And I, I started experimenting with harder drugs, cocaine to be exact. And I think it was my way of dealing with trauma. I, I don't want to use an excuse, but I'm not sure why I actually started using harder drugs. I did get the help I needed. I did seek professional help with a therapist. And I've been sober for many years now. And and I look back and, and I wouldn't be the person I am today if I hadn't have had experienced the drug addiction. And I can say that now because it's it's talking about it is part of the healing process. Mm-hmm. And I'm very compassionate and empathetic for people who who do have addictions, because there is an inner problem. There's an inner feeling why you're doing what you're doing, because it's very unhealthy. It's a, it's a very dark world to be an addict, whether it's to alcohol or drugs, drug addiction or substance use disorder. I knew that I wanted to help others and I want, I, I want others to know that it's okay not to be okay and that there's a lot of help out there and that the Department of Behavioral Health, I see such good work that they do for the community. And I am just proud to be a family member of the Department of Behavioral Health. And I call, I call everyone here my family because we all have the same goal. And the goal is to help those who are underserved, underprivileged. There's disparities. There's just so much. And we, we need to get the word out. And the word is getting out. And, and there's been milestones, leaps and bounds of, of mental health awareness. And I want to be part of that until I co- can no longer speak to anyone. I will always share my story, whether it's my story or to give resources to others. That's my passion. I can talk about this all day. And I know that my time here, my time on this podcast is only 30 minutes. So I better watch, you know, my time. <laughs> well, Sue, we're so glad that you're part of our family, too. I completely agree with you. There's so many people that work for this department that are just so passionate about what they do. And I'm I'm thankful that you were willing to share your story because I know that's not easy. I, I have not... I mean, a little bit of a similar background where, you know, I was also into drugs and and alcohol and, and those kind of things. And I had my first child very young. And when I tell people, you know, some of the things they're like, no, like, I don't believe that, (laughs) you know, they're like, what, what happened? But, you know, God is, God is merciful and um, he's able to, to forgive and redeem. And so I'm so thankful that that you're here and that you're able to share your story with someone else and that hopefully they'll hear that and be inspired by it. You know, I, I'll have to say for myself that my faith had a lot to do with my recovery as well. 
my faith, my relationship I have with, with, with God, you know, helped me a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. I, same for me. <laughs> same for me. <laughs> so Sue, maybe just circling back, what would you say in the Filipino community would be the best way to approach someone that you see either a family or a friend that uh, you think may be suffering from, you know, severe depression or maybe with substance use in, in that culture, what's the most appropriate way to, to tell that person that you're concerned? It's reassuring family member or an, a person who is struggling with mental health issues or mental health challenges or substance use disorder is to being culturally competent is very important. And I am grateful that, that we have Office of Equity and Inclusion and because being culturally competent and serving a diverse population, especially the Asian uh, American Pacific Islander population, sometimes there's no trust. Someone who may look similar to them, they may be more willing to open up mm-hmm. or, or seek help. You know, only 2% in in our county, in San Bernardino County, equal to Asian American Pacific Islanders seeking professional help. Um, we are a small population in San Bernardino County. It's only 8%. But out of the 8%, only 2%, we're low, um, uh, you know, for, for seeking help. But the approach is very important and also including the family. You know, you just can't go to the person who is going through it. I think the family unit has to also be involved, whatever treatment the loved one is going to be going through. Because the family unit, I now speak for Filipinos, is very important to be uh, to include uh, family members and the loved ones because they want to know that their loved one is getting the proper treatment. And sometimes, especially first generation who are the ones seeking help, there might be a language barrier there. So the children usually are the ones who will speak on behalf of their parent if they're getting mental health services. Sue, thank you so much for taking time to meet with us today. In closing, is there anything you'd like to add? Asian American Pacific Islander Mental Health Awareness Day, May 10th. And that date, it's when the Transcontinental Railroad was completed. The Chinese are the ones who worked on the railroad. So there's a lot of contributions that the Asians gave to the infrastructure of the United States. So to be acknowledged and recognized, it's a big deal. And it's, you know, appreciated and I'm just so glad I had this opportunity to share with everyone and that my dad will say that the United States is the best country ever. <laughs> he loved this country. It became his country. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, um, that's something a lot of people, I think, have forgotten. I was actually thinking about that as well. My husband shared that with me. There's so much to unpack around that. But yes, thank you for bringing it up. And thank you, Sue, for sharing your story with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Resilient and Real. As always, if you'd like to share your story on the podcast or have any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. 
send us an email at dbh-publicrelations at dbh.sbcounty.gov. Remember to follow us on social media for all things DBH. Until next time, live life resilient and real. Thank you.